Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of For Light and Life. I'm your host, Lucy, and today we are talking about something very relevant in my life this month, musical theater. For those of you who don't know, this spring I got to be part of my school's production of The Lightning Thief, aka the Percy Jackson musical, and we just had our final performance last weekend. Honestly, it might be my favorite thing that's happened all school year. The cast is just such a cool group that is not only so talented, but also so supportive. I feel like I've gotten to know people so much better and even learned more about myself. I'm trying not to go too in-depth here because we have this whole episode to talk about the ins and outs of musical theater from the perspective of a teenager. And because I'm so passionate about this topic, we're going to have a lot to say. We'll talk about its many benefits, such as skill development, building connections, and mental growth, as well as some advice spanning the entire experience. But first, last episode I put out a Q&A on Spotify asking what your favorite episode was from all my 30 episodes thus far, and I got a couple replies. Addie says, When we announced our book and found out that we both like kidnapping stories... That was one of my favorites, too. It has a lot of sentimental meaning for me. Dave STPSM says, I really liked the old fanfiction episodes. Me, too. I always love writing and sharing fanfiction. Next, it's the final week of May, and we've got a recognition month to talk about. In our previous two May episodes, we've covered AAPI and Jewish American heritage, and this time we are talking about mental health awareness. Such an important topic. I've been thinking about doing an episode about mental health for a while, but I've hesitated because I am very much not a professional in this subject, and I feel like it's important to be very sensitive and factually correct when discussing mental health, so I'm probably going to hold off on that until I feel like I have something that is both accurate and worth saying. But anyway... Mental health is one of those subjects that is only more recently being taken seriously by society and is still largely considered taboo in some communities. Personally, I feel that we should all learn to be more open to discussions about it as a society because it's such a prevalent thing that affects so many people, even more so in the aftermath of COVID-19. Here's a few numbers I found on the National Alliance on Mental Illness website. In the U.S. in 2021, one in five adults experienced some form of mental illness, the equivalent of 57.8 million people. One in 20 adults experienced serious mental illness, 14.1 million people. And 17% of youth between the ages of 6 and 17 experienced mental health disorder, 7.7 million people. If my math checks out, That's 65.5 million people in the U.S. who are affected by mental health conditions, at least as of 2021. Why the heck aren't we acknowledging this? Now, like I've said many times, I'm not an expert on this, nor do I pretend to be. I know there are so many factors and subtopics within the umbrella of mental health, and I'm really interested in learning more about them, but... As I don't feel qualified to speak much more deeply about this subject, I'll just say this last thing before spotlighting some individuals. It's okay to ask for help when you need it. It's not weak, it's not foolish, 
and you are not a burden. You deserve to be happy and to find joy and purpose in life as much as every other single person on this planet. You are all beautiful, talented, intelligent, and strong people, and whatever is happening in your life right now or has happened previously, I am proud of you for waking up every day and getting out of bed and going to school or work if that's something you do, and just taking those first steps. And if you also write a book or nail a dance routine or cook a fancy meal or become senator, that's awesome, and I'm proud of you for that too. But even if you're not in a position where you can do those things, you are enough. To finish off this little segment, I'm going to leave you with some people who did some really cool things in history while fighting their own mental health struggles. Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States, who did some questionable things and some helpful things, battled depression for a majority of his life. Ludwig van Beethoven, who was a very gifted and famous musician and wrote popular pieces such as Fur Elise and Ode to Joy, fought what historians believe to be bipolar disorder. Sir Isaac Newton, creator of the brilliant laws of motion and infinitesimal calculus, was most likely bipolar and a manic depressive. Finally, Virginia Woolf, an English writer and feminist who wrote essays and gave public lectures about women's rights, suffered from depression since she was 13. This isn't meant to bring down the mood, quite the opposite. All of these people and so many more like them have contributed and continue to contribute greatly to the world we have today. They are painters, musicians, writers, political figures, performers, athletes, medical professionals, students, partners, and parents, and friends, and whatever else they want to be. So this month, we celebrate them and acknowledge the impact mental health has on our planet. For a more lighthearted topic, I've got my little advertisement for the VCU Illustration Project. To spice things up this time, I wrote an ad in the form of the Star Wars opening crawl to explain what it is, because I'm always trying to keep my explanation short and snappy, so I might as well have fun with it. So, here is my silly opening crawl about the VCU Illustration Project. One year ago, in a podcast not so far away, Having gotten hold of mobile devices with recording capabilities, an ambitious group of Empire Radio fans set forth into the internet to create a fully developed Star Wars audio drama consisting of many micro-messages known as voicemails. Feeling quite pleased with their accomplishments, the collaborators thought they were safe, until the sinister Darth Audio Only struck. With the new threat of having no visuals attached to their project, the tenacious group sent out a call to their allies in the hopes of receiving illustrations from beings across the galaxy, with which they could complete the voicemail cinematic universe project and display it as a beacon of hope for all the galaxy to see. So, yep, that's basically the situation. If you can make any sort of art, please consider submitting an original illustration to match one of our voicemails. There's a Google Doc in the description that tells you exactly how to do this. And fun fact, we officially have only 10 more voicemails to be illustrated. It has been a year and 24 days since the audio was finished and the visuals began construction. So please, help us finally get this thing finished. And remember, 
Addie and I can only release our VCU sequel novel once the VCU is fully illustrated. Thank you for your patience thus far. We're going to get right into the joys of musical theater now, and I hope you enjoy the ride. Musical theater has been around for what historians estimate to be 2,500 years, when it began in ancient Greece. This is very ironic, given that the musical I just finished last week was about Greek mythology. It's really all come in full circle. Anywho, given that it's existed for many, many centuries, we've had plenty of time to discover the wondrous benefits of musical theater, both as a participant and an audience. The most obvious benefit is, of course, entertainment. There have been over 300 Broadway musicals, and no one has kept track of how many musicals there have been in general, so I'm gonna guess at least several hundred. With so many options, there is a lot of variety in style and genre. If you're looking for more horror-themed musicals, look no further than Ride the Cyclone, Sweeney Todd, and The Little Shop of, um, horrors. If you want a good family Disney show, there's Broadway's Frozen, The Lion King, and The Little Mermaid. For history fans, try Come From Away, Six, or Hamilton. There are literally hundreds to choose from, and not a single one is quite like the others. You could stay entertained your whole life by watching a few musicals a year. There are even more pros to participating in musical theater. A really big one is skill development. Almost all high schools, most middle schools, and even a handful of elementary schools put on annual musicals, and plus a whole ton of colleges, but I don't go to college, so I wouldn't know. And that is a great time to get to know the ins and outs of productions. Being on crew can be a great opportunity to learn how to design costumes, build sets, run lights and sound, and watch the larger picture of the show come together. Being a performer can help you improve your singing, character development, coordination, staging, body language, intonation, and a variety of other skills that can help you pursue a career, if that's your goal, or even just improve yourself for future school or local productions. I've been in a grand total of four musicals over the years, and in each one I have grown so much as an actor, singer, and dancer. And even if your school doesn't have a yearly musical, there very well could be a local theater company in your city, or at least close to it. I know of at least four in my area that specialize in teen and kid productions, and although I know this isn't the case everywhere, it's somewhat common in the U.S. Another really big advantage is making friends. As a more introverted person, I am not the best at maintaining human contact and thinking of things to talk about with other people. But with all the musicals I've been in, connecting over this material we all have in common has been really helpful in making and continuing friendships without feeling awkward all the time. In general, I don't love grouping people into boxes and cliques, but the kids who join musicals tend to be very willing to be nerdy and goofy and do fun things that would not be the social norm in most other settings. For instance, it is not at all all uncommon for people to spontaneously burst into song and dance during rehearsal, and usually at least five other people join in, and it turns into this very joyful and exhilarating experience. 
Whereas if someone stands up and starts belting for the first time in forever in the middle of a school cafeteria, they might not get that same result. With people who would be typically labeled as theater kids, it's not this awkward thing where you have to keep all toes inside the line and always be worried about saying something ridiculous. Half the time, I'm not even sure there is a line. It's really about being connected and together and having fun. In addition to being super fun, my musical friends are usually very open and not judgmental about just about everything. Sometimes we casually drop comments about our social anxiety or emotions or self-doubt, and the group just lifts each other up and creates a very supportive environment. And when in doubt, just say something about the production itself, like, I'm so excited for that big number in Act 2, or what do you think your costume's gonna look like? You've got so many built-in icebreakers. Another pro that isn't the most obvious is mental development. You can gain a lot of empathy by thinking about certain characters' journeys, respect from seeing your really talented castmates, and gratitude by seeing how hard everyone is working to make the show come together. You can get this new realization that the world is so much wider than you thought it was, that you're just one piece in the humongous puzzle of life. Theater can be really humbling. Now on the flip side, it can also really boost your self-esteem if you learn how to do a tricky bit of choreography or nail a song. It gives you a sense of pride in yourself and others when the group does well. And in the spirit of Mental Health Awareness Month, being in that group and working together toward a common goal can really boost your mood and give you something to look forward to every week. Now, I'm not gonna lie. There are hard parts. There's the moment after the cast list comes out, when you don't get the part you wanted, when you try so hard to memorize your lines and yet you still stumble over a couple, when you're so frustrated by the lack of progress or a certain individual's attitude or an audience who doesn't get any of the jokes. But I think that's the beauty of it. You can feel these hard emotions and go through these hard times and still feel really triumphant at the end because it was all worth it and you made it through. But those tricky moments are very real, so I'm going to go over some tips I have that can smooth out some of the bumps and boost the overall experience. They do all pertain to being a performer, because I have not been on crew, so I don't have any tips about it. But hopefully you learn something useful for your goals. Tip number one. Set yourself up for success with a solid audition. Never, ever, ever sing a song or pick a monologue from the show you're auditioning for. Unless, of course, the directors specifically tell you to do that. But if you're expected to choose your own audition material, do not take it from the same show. It limits the way the directors can picture you fitting in with the show, so it limits the possibility that you'll get the part that's really right for you, or even that you'll make the cast at all. You might be perfect as the funny sidekick, but if you try so hard to get the part of the love interest, the directors might not be able to picture you as anyone else. So if they find someone who fits the sidekick role even better than you, you could be, respectfully, cast aside from the production entirely. Plus, the directors have been listening to the show's soundtrack and studying it for a long time as they prepare for casting, 
So if you don't hit the high note that well in comparison to the professional album, or if your tone of voice is just really different, they might not be able to get the picture you're trying to send. In this latest production I did, hardly anyone originally auditioned hoping to get the part they ended up with, including me. And it was one of the best cast shows I've ever been in. Everyone fits so well with their character because the directors have an overarching view of the entire cast and how it needs to line up. So usually the directors really do know better than you. It's generally best to pick a song and monologue that fit the tone or genre of the character you're going for, but are not actually by that character. Number two. No matter what happens in the auditions or the callbacks, if those happen with your production, try your best. I cannot stress this enough. I have a friend who really wanted a certain character, but in the callbacks she was asked to read for a role with less stage time, and she was so disappointed that she did not even try during those callbacks, and she ended up playing a squirrel. So she regrets that she gave up before the battle was even lost. So even if you're asked to try for a part that you aren't interested in, or you're just not feeling it that day, push yourself to give it your all anyway. That way, no matter what happens, you know you did the very best you could and there was nothing else you could have done. And sometimes that effort really pays off. I have another friend who got a callback for a less involved character and ended up getting cast as one of the leads. Tip number three. Don't beat yourself up if you don't get the character you were set on. One of the things I've come to terms with during this past production is that casting is not decided based on a ranking of talents. It's not that the best actor gets the lead and the people who are less talented get the supporting roles. It's almost entirely based off of your energy and how you fit with the tone of the character. If you're cast as, say, firefighter number two, who is very sassy, but only in a few scenes, it's not that you're not as, quote, good as other actors. It's probably because you showed a lot of sassiness in your audition, and the directors thought you would fit the tone of the character and would make that role very strong. After all, what even determines how good a performer is? Is it based on their vocal range, vocal tone, facial expression, the way they say their lines? the way they move their arms while talking. There are just so many areas to consider, and no one's perfect at all of them. And usually people have some really strong suits and some areas to improve in. So who's to decide which areas give the most points? I'm telling you, it's not about who deserves to have a leading role. It's about who fits each individual part regardless of stage time. And no matter what part you get, it'll always be a learning experience. Now, if your production does have cuts and you don't make it onto the cast at all, that also doesn't mean you aren't good. I know this sounds cliche, but you probably just weren't right for that particular production at that time. Unless you age out of the program, you can always try again for the next production. And you can always join crew and get to watch the musical grow while also contributing in a very big way. School theater is hardly ever all or nothing so there are going to be other steps you can take. Tip number four. Get with the program earlier rather than later. After rehearsals for the production starts, 
get right on top of memorizing lines and getting familiar with the script and learning the music. It may seem like you have a lot of time, but trust me, if you spend the first four weeks goofing off and then you realize you've got a month until the performance and you're expected to be off book in three days, you're going to regret not putting that energy in from the start. It's always better to stay caught up from the beginning. And chances are, you have a lot less time than it feels like you have. And my final tip. After you've rehearsed and rehearsed and you finally reach your performance, have fun with it. Don't stress about being exactly the way you've practiced or being totally perfect at every single thing you do. You have worked really hard and made some great friendships and you know the show. You deserve to have fun while you give your story to the audience. Most of them have no idea how the songs are supposed to go or what lines are said where. So even if you make a mistake, a vast majority of the time they will not even notice. Just let yourself be grinning during your triumphant finale. Unless, of course, that's not the tone of the finale. Don't be smiling like an evil mastermind at the end of Shakespeare's Macbeth. Just be proud and excited and a little sad that it's over. And most of all, just have fun. This has actually been a much longer episode than I had planned, so I hope you enjoyed this insider scoop. But we're going to hurry along to voicemails now. We have two fantastic voicemails to play today. First, let's hear a message from Retta. Hey, Lucy, it's Retta. Uh, I just wanted to check in, say how you're doing, say I just really appreciate all of your positivity and always look forward to your episodes. Uh, question for you, which time period in Star Wars do you think you would most like to live in? Like, would you do, like, pre-prequels, during the prequel era, like, any of those time frames that we have all separated out there? Uh, is there a certain time frame that you would most like to live in? Um, I'm not sure when I would most like to live. I almost want to say, like, the the same era that Andor and Rebels happens in, uh, just because that's my favorite era as far as content goes. Uh, but I'm curious to know your answer. So, thanks. Looking forward to your next episode. Have a great day. Thank you very much for the voicemail, Retta. As always, your feedback means so much to me, and I'm glad you're enjoying the episodes. As for your question, what Star Wars time period would I want to live in? It's tricky. The thing is... There's always a war happening. It's like the galaxy doesn't know how to function without war. I guess there was a 20-year period or something between the Empire and the First Order, so that would be really nice to live then and not have to worry about being blown up all the time. But on the other hand, it would be really cool to live during the Clone War because so many of my favorite characters are there. We've got Ahsoka, Anakin, Rex, Obi-Wan, all the clones... But there's also so much corruption in the Jedi and Republic and so much polarization. I absolutely despise political polarization. It's ridiculous and tearing society apart and has no positives and doesn't even get anything accomplished. Anyway, the one time I know I would not want to live is during the Imperial Era. There's just so much destruction happening and it would be very stressful. The High Republic is cool and has a less corrupt Jedi Order. 
But there's also galaxy-wide panic every 10 minutes, so maybe that's not ideal either. And the first order time period is just so bleak and hopeless all the time. I guess it comes down to what sort of person I would be. Like a Jedi or regular civilian or the shop owner or whatnot. If I'm basically just living my normal Earth life but in the Star Wars galaxy... I would probably choose to be born around the time of Return of the Jedi so I can grow up in a time of relative peace and everyone's happy because they defeated the Empire. That way I have a good couple of decades to go to school and figure out my life before I get thrown into another war. So yes, I'm going to stick to the post-Empire era, whatever you want to call that. It's a little less exciting in terms of galaxy-wide chaos, but it's very safe. We also have a voicemail from a first-time sender, who I know a little from Empire Radio's Discord. So, let's play it. Hey, Lucy. I'm uh, Dave, or uh, you might know me as uh, Dazdor from the Empire Radio Discord. Uh, I just wanted to say hi and uh, congratulations on your one-year anniversary for the podcast. It's uh, really good. I really enjoy the uh, Drabble and the uh, fanfiction stuff. It's really good. And uh, I can't wait for the PCU to be fully illustrated so we can uh, listen to the part two or the sequel. And uh, I've been working pretty hard on these Lego stop motion for the VCU. So I can't wait for you to see them. Uh, that's it. Bye. Que la force soit avec toi. Thank you so much for sending this in, Dave. It's so cool to hear your voice, and I'm glad you like the podcast. Thank you for the anniversary. Congratulations. I am very excited for where our next year is going to take us. And yes, I am also very excited for the VCU project to be finished. Thank you for all the Lego stop motion you've sent in. I can't wait to see them. And you've really helped the project come along. My plan is currently get the VCU fully illustrated before EmpireCon, at which point Jeremiah claims he'll release the video at EmpireCon, which will be so much fun and kind of cringy, I'm not going to lie. It feels like I was so young back then and there are several things I wish I had done differently. But you know what? It's going to be great. Then I'll wait a couple weeks so everyone has time to watch the final VCU video. And then hopefully in the first week of September, I'll drop chapter one of our book and then continue doing that every week for 10 weeks. And may the force be with you too. I'm taking French in the Duolingo app, so I know a little. To wrap up this episode... We've got our Drabble, and with it, our new Drabble transition music. If you are unfamiliar with this term, a Drabble is a short story exactly 100 words long, and I read one I wrote every episode. This week, we've got a Drabble related to our highly anticipated VCU sequel novel, but it's not actually from the book or even in the same time period. It's going to be a little mysterious for the time being, but basically, there is a certain character in our book who has some feelings about Mandalorians, 
And I wanted to come up with some backstory for her that explains her actions. And while it does not excuse her actions, I think it does provide a better understanding of why she does what she does. I don't believe Addie or I has mentioned this character at all to you, but you'll find out at the very beginning of chapter two. For now, here is Drabble called Ripples. The governor's house trembled as Lawrence Lowe raced toward the back door, towards escape. Kicking jerkily in his arms, his eight-month-old daughter let out a shapeless cry. The fresh memory of his husband lying limply in the doorway cut through his panic. Those imperial thugs had taken a lot from him, but they would not take his child. As he bolted toward the waiting speeder bike and chauffeur, he stole one final glance behind him and saw a glint of Beskar painted crimson red. It was attached to a hand that sprayed thick flames across his former home. Lawrence seethed. Basically, although this story has nothing to do with literal ripples, I named this Drabble because of the ripple effect that happens when adults pass on ideas or beliefs to their kids. You'll find out more about that later. But this mini-fanfic takes place around the time of Rebels, when Gar Saxon and his Mando buddies were teaming up with the Empire. You would not believe the amount of research and timeline figuring out I had to do for this fic. Anyway, as I'm sure most of you figured out, some Mandos who were helping the Empire raided and destroyed this governor's home. Please don't ask what planet this governor is in charge of or why exactly the house was being raided. My best guess is that the governor was standing up to the Empire, so they dispatched the Mandalorians to deal with it. And I just have no clue what planet this is, honestly. <laughs> I know the anticipation is hard. And I would like nothing more than to show you what these little drabble hints are leading up to. But I'm going to wait until the first week of September, because it has to be like this. Only 14 more weeks to go. We can do it. If you have thoughts about this episode, you want to contact me, or you just want to help the show expand, here are some ways you can do so. You can send me an email through my fan email, which is forlightandlife.podcast at gmail.com. This is wonderful if you have something you want to tell me, but for whatever reason, you can't send in a voicemail. That being said, you can definitely send me a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. There's a link in the description for that. As long as it is family-friendly and you have not specifically asked me not to, then I will play it on the show. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you listen. This helps when people come over and find the podcast. Go ahead and follow the show if you like these sort of episodes. It comes out every other Sunday. Finally, please share the show with your community so our community can grow. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I'm Lucy, and let's look for the light and life in our world together. <laughs>